Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. This is Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. rather festive, isn't it? <laughs> Good morning. Uh, personality tests, they've been around for a while, and some of them are used in employment, some are used in uh, a college classrooms, seminary classrooms, you name it. Uh, there's been some around for a long time, like the DISC scale, uh, the, the forerunner of that goes all the way back to ancient Greece, where it uh, you know, looks at your personality on four different scales. There's a Myers-Briggs, which uh, can tell a whole lot about you. And then there's one been really popular in recent years called the Enneagram. Anybody here take the Enneagram? You've done that? Okay, a few of you, yeah. Uh, if, if you know anything about it, I'm a one, which may explain a lot, okay? Uh, and you have a number associated with you. It's kind of fun to talk about those things. It gets people real animated and, uh, you know, uh, engaged in conversation. And I've thought sometimes about those personality tests. What if Jesus took one? What would it show? You know, what, what would it show about the Lord Jesus? Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that there's only one place in the Gospels, only one, and you just heard it read, where Jesus pulls back the curtain and lets us see to the core of his being and describes his heart. It's the only place in all of the Gospels where Jesus himself describes his heart for us. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's his description. He doesn't say I'm austere and demanding. He doesn't say I'm exalted and dignified, nor does he say I'm joyful and generous. So, certainly true. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. That's how Jesus describes himself. Today, we're going to begin a series that's going to take us through Lent. This is the first Sunday of Lent. The Lenten season takes us up to uh, the cross and the empty tomb and helps us prepare for those things and to walk in humbleness and humility and repentance and uh, over the course of this, we're doing the series, I-M-H-O. Some of you know your initials. What is that? 
And, and no, it's not a series about honesty. It's a series about humility. My humble opinion. Just giving you a hard time there. Um, and we're going to be looking at humility because this is what Jesus self-describes as. He's humble in heart. And so if, if Jesus is this, then as his apprentices, as his followers, he's the master, we're the student, we want to learn from him, then we want to become this. In fact, in this very passage, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So troubling question of the day, would you say, how are you doing in humility? Here is even a more troubling question, what would others say about your level of humility? Well, don't let that lead you into guilt. Let it lead you into a, a quest to be more like Jesus who describes himself as, as humble at heart. And I gotta say, um, this particular series for me has been, I've been chewing on this one for years. Um, I, in my time, in my ministry over these decades, I have, I've seen a, a shift in our country and uh, within the church um, where humility was, was once really prized and seen as the great virtue that it is. And we looked for it in our, um, uh, the people we admired, and we longed for it. We wanted to see that. And, and the opposite, pride, we were re repulsed by it. I think there's still some of that, but I, but I think humility has taken some hits in recent years. And I, I, I just don't think we value humility like previous generations did, and that's to our loss. There's something beautiful about humility, something very beautiful. And so uh, we're going to spend um, uh, some time looking at that over the course of these weeks. We're going to begin with Jesus, who self-describes as humble. And I said I've been working on this for a while, but it was last year when I read the, uh, a short book, 100, written 150 years ago. You know what I love about reading old books is that they, they take you out of the current context and all the debates and all of the discussions and the, the, the biases and the emphases of this current era and takes you back to a previous era. Written by Andrew Murray, a South African pastor, missionary, author. Uh, it's just simply titled Humility, a very short book. In, in, in church language, I was deeply convicted by this book. In street language, it kicked my butt. And um, after every chapter, man, I had to repent. <laughs> this, is, this is a deeply moving book. Andrew Murray's written a lot of great books. He's probably his best known for With Christ in the School of Prayer. But this little booklet is a treasure. We, we bought a bunch of books so you can experience it for yourself. But they all sold out of the first service. We'll have more for you next week. All right? Or go get it yourself. Um, so we begin with Jesus in this passage where he gives this description, okay? And um, here we see it all wrapped up in an invitation. Come to me. It's an invitation from, and it's an invitation to. First, it's an invitation from the one who describes himself as gentle, he says, for I am gentle in heart. Now, this word is a rare word in our New Testament. It's only used four times, and three of those are in the Gospel of Matthew. This one, Matthew 5, 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, what's called the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The word gentle can also be translated meek. And then go to the end of the Gospel, Matthew 21, 
And uh, here quotes from the prophet. It says, say to daughters, I and see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's where we'll end the series on Palm Sunday and in, in, in during the season of Lent. Okay, we'll end there. I'm going to focus here, begin with Jesus, end with Jesus, and look at everything he teaches in between about humility. And then Peter references it once in his letter. That's the only time the word ever appears, the gentleness, in, in Scripture. Now, because it can be and is translated meek, our image of meek, and I think the word has taken a hit and has been tarnished, because I think meekness has come to insinuate weakness, sniveling, kind of cowardly, kind of, you know, uh, self-deprecating and, and, um, and, and seen as a real posture of weakness. When actually the word means power under control. Think horse, not mouse. In fact, a horse, very powerful animal, but it has the bit in its mouth and it's under complete control. and goes wherever the owner wants it to go. That's gentleness. There's lots of power there, but it's restrained and it's held back. Um, Jesus was gentle. Now, how much of a contrast of all of the examples, of all of the venues where we see leaders today, whether it's in the field of education or work or government or sports or the church. Jesus wasn't harsh, nor was he reactionary. He wasn't selfish or in it for himself. He wasn't narcissistic. He wasn't manipulative. He wasn't easily exasperated or angry. In fact, as I love this. One author I read said, Jesus is the most understanding person in all of the universe. Listen to this beautiful description of the Messiah who was yet to come in Isaiah. It says, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So there, you, you see this beautiful description of Jesus, the most understanding person in the universe. And Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. When you picture God, what do you picture? The pointed finger? A lot of people do. Maybe because of their background or their, their own guilt or shame. Or do you see this? Now, how do you issue the words, come to me, like this, like this? Open-armed, invitation, come, come to me. And it's just, that, that's a gentleness. You heard me reference um, the, the outpouring of the Spirit at Asbury University last week, and I've been so intrigued by this, and I spoken to a number of people, several folks from our church have gone and others I know have talked and, and I just always had to explain it, tell me about it and everybody who's gone and was part of it just, just said, you know, there was just a sweet spirit in the room. That came around that word sweet, I think which is probably what people would substitute for gentle. Just a sweet, sweet spirit in the room. Um, now, don't let that make you think that Jesus is somehow weak. 
He doesn't say that he's mushy and frothy of heart either. In fact, just before this, in the verses just before this, this section, um, he issues woes upon the three cities where he did 90% of his miracles. You know that in the miracle triangle? The, the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, Cor- and, and Capernaum. Jesus performed 90% of his miracles there, and yet people rejected him. And he, and he issues woes. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. He says, I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and, Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, that was his home base. He said, you'll be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll, be, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have repented, remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So don't get this, that somehow Jesus is mushy. But he's, he's, he's gentle. I think he spoke those words with agony in his heart. A tear in his eye. He's, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what, he's the lion of the tribe of Judas. We sang that today, right? He's the lion and the lamb. All of that is true. He's gentle. And then he says he's humble in heart. Now, over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to look at several definitions for humble, all right? Because it's such a rich virtue that uh, you can come at it from different angles. Now, at its very base, it means humus. It's where we get our word humus. It's soil. It's dirt. It's being close to the dirt. It's being lowly, okay? Um, But going to Andrew Murray in his book, this is his definition. The simple consent of the creature to let God be all. And he says it really has to do with surrender and surrendering to God and letting God indeed be all and all. And that, isn't that what Jesus was saying in the verse right before he issues this invitation? He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. In other words, he recognizes that everything he has to say and do comes not from him but from the Father. And, and he says this over and over again in the Gospel of, of John. Uh, listen to this. I'm going to read several excerpts. In um, John 5, 19, he says, Truly I tell you, the Son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Um, and so he can only do what he sees the Father doing. And then later in that same chapter, he says, By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but the one who sent me. In John 7, uh, 6, he says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the one who sent me. John 7, I am not here on my own. John 8, I do nothing on my own. He says, in, in, later in John 8, I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Later in the chapter, I am not making glory for, seeking glory for myself. And then John 14, the words I say to you are not just my own. On and on and on, Jesus is clearly saying that everything I've been given, everything I'm speaking to you, all of the teaching, all of the miracles, all comes from the Father. He was utterly dependent upon the Father and claimed that everything that he had came from the Father. Again, quoting Andrew Murray, the root of all virtue and grace of all faith and acceptable worship is that we know we have nothing 
but what we receive. Now, friends, that flies right in the face of the American notion of the self-made person. The humble person says, everything I have, I've been given. Now, many years ago, probably 25 years ago, in fact, I, th- I think we were still in the theater. It was a long time ago. I said something to this effect, and the person took issue with me, said, but I, I've worked for everything I have. I said, you have a very strong work ethic, that's indeed, but who gave, you, who gave strength to your body to enable you to work? Who gave you that sharp business mind that you have? Who allowed you to be born in the United States of America, a land of prosperity? Who gives you your next breath? The humble person recognizes it's not my work. It's not what I've done. Everything I have is a gift I've received. And Jesus himself models that by saying over and again, it's not me, it's the Father. It's the Father. So it's an invitation from the one who is gentle of heart, humble of heart. It's an invitation to come to me, all who are weary, so it's an invitation to the tired, to the exhausted. I tell you, if, if one word has been used more than anything or people have described or said this to me once, they've said it 100 times in the past couple years, I, I can't tell you how many people I've said, and I've said it on occasion, I'm exhausted. Have you felt that? Some people say, I'm just exhausted. 2020 was a hard year, and it was an exhausting year. You had the pandemic. You had racial unrest. You had a very contentious election. And, and everybody had different opinions about everything. And it seemed like we were at each other's throat about everything. And a lot of folks. And then the, the lockdowns and being isolated from people. And on and on. Friends, this invitation's for us. It's for us set aside 2020, just think about life in America, the pace that we live, the pace that we keep. Why? Because we're told in order to do stuff, you know, to be somebody, to be something, I got to keep this pace up. And the pace is so hard and fast. That's why books like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry are so incredibly popular today because people say, please tell me. I'm so tired. The criticism, the scrutiny, The tension wears on us, doesn't it? Comparisons, endless comparisons. Why? Well, I, I think this invitation's for us. Come to me who are weary. And he says in burdened. I, I always, my mind defaults to King James, heavy laden. <laughs> the burdened. Jesus would have been speaking to burdened folks. He would have, immediate, his immediate hearers would have been uh, folks who were burdened by religion. The 613 laws of the Old Testament. And not only that, the things you're not supposed to do, but then there's all the things you're supposed to be to do to be a, a, a religious and loyal and faithful Jew. And it was wearing people out and wearing them down. And then, then the Greeks, then there's Gentile society. They're, they're, the Greeks, they were in a constant search for truth. 
This philosopher said, you find it this way. And another philosopher said, you find it this way. The Stoic said, keep a stiff upper, uh, upper lip. The, the Epicurean said, no, go for the gusto, enjoy life. That's where you find it. And they just didn't find it. They had no revelation from God. They were burdened, broken down. Um, well, consider the things that we're burdened by today. Consider the things. Um, success. America's all about success, right? And then when you really start looking at what does it require to be successful, that's, it's hard to keep that pace. You don't want to fall behind because you fall behind, you're going to be left behind. And then money. We, we um, have a lot of affluence and money. It's a big thing that a lot of people search after. How many, when's the last time you heard, say, heard someone say, man, I, I have enough money, I'm just going to go fishing? Huh? No. Constantly driven for more and more. I thought some fascinating research done a few years ago interviewed people at different financial levels, you know. And once you get out of poverty, which is incredibly draining. Once you get out of poverty, where do you think you find the, the lowest levels of contentment? You would think that a person, the more money they make, the more content they'll be? Actually, no. That the most discontented people in America are millionaires because they're wanting they, they're, more. It's never enough and more. Or maybe it's popularity living for the approval of others. Good luck with that. Or maybe it's, it's the endless pursuit of beauty. I mean, women, I think, under, under such pressure to live up to the standards of the Photoshop pictures of the women on the covers of magazines. And then, oh, it's not just that. You got, America loves youthfulness, so no matter how old you get or your body ages, you got to continue to look beautiful, and it just... Burdens are men trying to keep their strength. And then there are the passions, the, the places we battle in money, sex, and power, and, and the passions of life that can be all demanding and all consuming and always saying more, which lead to addictions. What all those things that we are burdened by, you know what they all are? They're all taskmasters, they're all slave drivers. Every one of them. You never have enough. It's always pushing you for more. See, everybody's yoked to something. Jesus will go on and say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Everybody's yoked to something. One of my favorite albums of all time uh, was Slow Train Coming by Bob Dylan in 1979 after he converted to Christ. And there was a song on there, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. It goes through all the popular people, you know, people of great influence and wealth, and you got to serve somebody. We all serve something. What, what, what are you serving? See, Jesus elsewhere says, calls himself the good shepherd. See, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What? He's going to lead you to life. All of the things that we're driven by just drive us into the ground. So he says, I'm the good shepherd. 
You ever watch a shepherd with a sheep? It's fascinating. I've seen them in England. I've seen them a lot of times in the Holy Land. And uh, you got the shepherd. He's out in front, and the sheep follow. It's the craziest thing. He's walking along, and they're following right behind. You know, my dog, if I don't have a leash on him, he doesn't follow me at all. But sheep, man, they do. And um, why? Because they trust the shepherd. They know the shepherd um, is going to lead them to green pastures and nice water to drink. So they follow. A friend of mine was um, over in Israel once, and he's with an Israeli, and they're, they're looking around. He saw this, he said, he saw some sheep, and, and there was a guy behind him driving him with a stick and kind of hitting him, and you could tell the sheep were anxious and, and fidgety and, and trying to dart to and fro. And he said, whoa. He said, I've never seen that from a shepherd. And the guy from Israel looked and goes, oh, that's not the shepherd. That's the butcher. <laughs> you know, our problem, we're driven by a lot of butchers, and they're just taken from us. Success, money, popularity, go on and on. But there's one who says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and I'll give you rest. Um, he, he invites us to follow his leadership. Um, that's what a yoke was. Yoke is an agricultural term. It was something that farmers, uh, ranch, farmers would use with their, their cattle, with their oxen. It was a wooden instrument, it would, it, a, a collar that would go on the shoulder and they would hook two animals together so they could pull the farm implement. And maybe as a carpenter, Jesus made some yokes and he said, my yoke fits you really well. It's not gonna rub blisters and scars on you. It's gonna, it's gonna fit you just the way it should. Now in saying that, when he says my yoke is easy, we misunderstand that somehow he's less demanding. No, actually Jesus is more demanding he says once, he goes, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. To follow Jesus means that you will have to say no to yourself and no to what you want, no to your wishes, and yes to his. There are some ways that we can please ourselves and please Christ. There's other ways that we can only please Christ by denying ourselves. And then he says, follow me, pick up your cross and die. The only reason you pick up a cross is go to your death. All of Jesus' original apostles were martyred for their death, except John, who died in exile on an island. Every one of them, but see, it wasn't that Jesus was less demanding or asked less of them. He was just a better leader. He loved them. His was a yoke of kindness and grace and goodness. And people would run through a wall for him because he genuinely cared for them. Uh, he's not a taskmaster. He's one that you want leading your life because he genuinely cares for you. Um, he says, um, you receive my rest. So I'll give rest for your soul. It's like to the person drowning in the ocean, He's that life preserver. Now, if you're drowning and someone throws you a life preserver, you're not going to say, oh, would you keep that away from me? I don't need more weight out here. No, you're going to grab onto it for all it's worth and hold on, right, and stay afloat. That's what Jesus is for us. Ours, he, he is for us what helium is to a balloon. He lifts us as he leads us. Um, the prophet said something similar, I'm sure, thinking of the Messiah 
in these words so loved by so many, it says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll walk and not be faint. They'll run and not be weary. Jesus wants to give a lift to your spirit. He'll walk with you and he'll carry that burden with you. And, he, and what he promises us here, notice, not a, not a possession, not a, a new fad, not some gimmick. He offers himself. Himself. Come to me. Notice that's, that's, what's, that's something you would expect God to say. He doesn't say go to God. Do you notice that? He says, come to me. Because he is God in the flesh. Um, it's him. And he's all we need. Going back to the outpouring at Asbury, what, one of the things I've loved about it is how... Um, it's been all student-led. I think, I think it's God's wisdom and graciousness that it happened at a college campus. You know, not at a big church with a celebrity pastor. <laughs> a very humble sort of thing. Last weekend, friends of mine were there, and they, they told me a, a well-known worship leader showed up. I won't mention her name. A great, great worship leader. And she offered to sing, and they told her no. No. Now, they didn't say it to her. It would have been rude. In other context, they said, the only celebrity here is Jesus. Because he's all we need. He's gentle and humble in spirit. And one of the things that's been described, last thing, they said that what has typified this outpouring is a radical humility. May we all be known for a radical humility. Well, how do we do that? How do, you, how do you find this for your soul? How do you find that, that yoke that is easy and a burden that's light? You accept the invitation. Come to me. So here's two things you need to do. Very simple. Ready? Define this for yourself. To find, for the weary to find rest, for the burdened to find freedom. Two things. Go to Jesus. That's number one. And number two, Repeat step one. Go to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that um, you are what we need. You are the, the good shepherd. You lead us to life. You care for your sheep. We thank you that you are a leader also oh, worth following. when we are driven by so many things on this earth, pressured, burdened, you come along and say, I'll walk with you and I'll carry that burden with you. So thank you. And thank you that you meet us here at this table, that your presence is here among us. You're gentle humble presence. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. 
feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.